listen Do you want to know a secret? Do you promise not to tell? Oh, oh, closer Let me whisper in your ear Say the words you long to hear Listen all right. Good morning. Welcome again, everybody. If you're tuning in online, thanks for being here. If you're in the room, it's a great opportunity to grab those talk notes if you're a fill-in-the-blank kind of person. Uh, I personally am not. I hate talk notes. I hate doing them every week, I hate, but I know a lot of people love them, and so I do them. But uh, absolutely. So grab those if you're online. You can pull them up on your phone or your uh, device while you watch. That's wonderful. It's great to see everybody. Lynn, Barry, it's wonderful to see you today. We're with you. You know, a, a thing about a church is that you know, you are the most important people in our church right now because those that are hurting the most are the most important. That's what church, that's what this family, that's what it means. And we're not afraid of your pain. We're not afraid of your sorrow. This is what it means to come alongside, to walk when you can't walk, to pray when you can't pray, to sing for you when you can't sing, to believe for you when you can't believe. And uh, we, we are with you. That's what it's about. We can't be afraid of that. It's, we can't be afraid. So uh, we trust that God is with us. So we're in week three of a series called Listen, uh, where we're just kind of exploring what does it mean to honor the divine image in one another, regardless of anything, really, regardless of our beliefs, regardless of what church somebody goes to or what church they don't go to, regardless of their economics or politics. What does it mean to honor the light in another person? Because we have a light inside of us. I I believe deeply that Christ is in all things, reconciling all things to the Father, that that's the great mystery, that faith is the ability to see that. Faith is the ability to see what is true of ourselves. Uh, And and that, that in my feeble understanding, it has to be that way. Otherwise, it's not grace. If it's something that I've done, even a prayer, then it's not grace. But it's faith to believe what is true to believe what is true of you, of me, of every person on this planet, that we are loved, that we are whole, that we are created in God's image, that we are rescued, that we are saved, that we don't have to live wounding one another, and that is a a way of salvation. Uh, So what does it mean to honor that reality in one another? And uh, live that out. And it starts with this idea of listening. Our anchor verse, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13, I would encourage everybody to memorize, says, whoever answers before listening, theirs is folly and shame. I know that's something none of us have ever done, so it's kind of remedial uh, to actually wait and listen before answering, but uh, that's what it's about. Let me ask everybody a question. You're at home. Oh, by the way, if you're at home, you can be seated. I don't know if we told you that or not. I just imagine thousands of people standing in their living rooms waiting to be told to sit down. It's just a little, little pandemic church humor for you. Not good humor, but it's there nonetheless. Let me ask everybody a question if you're in the foyer if you're, or atrium. I always call it a foyer, sorry, the foyer. Sounds so fancy. Uh, if you're in the atrium or if you're in the room or if you're online tuning in, uh, do me a favor, raise your hand up nice and high if you love to be wrong. Just want to see if there's anybody that can leave. Okay, good. So uh, most of us, we, we don't love to be wrong. We absolutely hate it. We hate being wrong. You, you can almost, if you just pause, you can imagine the feeling that happens when you go from so certain to being right to that little piece of information that someone gives you that now you know you're wrong and you're trying to figure out, how do I leave this room as fast as I can? How do I leave the conversation? We don't like that feeling. And, and you know, the more certain we are of something, 
something, when all of a sudden that certainty gets shattered, it just, it's all the pieces are everywhere. We don't like that feeling. But let me tell you something you don't like even more because I know you, because I've been around people long enough. More than not being right, like more than like hating being wrong, you hate when other people are wrong and they don't know it. Like that even bothers you more. Like letting somebody else be wrong is more difficult than you being wrong, right? Like that's why we get so intense. It is so hard for us to just let other people be wrong. We can't do it. One of my favorite statements to my kids is they grew up, my dadisms, anybody else got dadisms or momisms or parentisms, whatever, like, why can't you just let them be wrong, right? Your kids, they argue over the dumbest things ever, right? No, it's on at five o'clock tonight. No, it's on at six o'clock tonight. It's five o'clock tonight. It's six o'clock tonight. You're like, why does it just let them be wrong? Let it, what, who cares? Let them be wrong. We can't let people be wrong. And why is that? It starts really little and it continues to go on till you're in your prime in your 50s, right? We've already discussed that. That's prime time if you're in your 50s. If you're in your 30s, that's your prime. I get it. If you're in your 70s, that's your prime, right? That's the best of who we are right now. We don't like to let other people be wrong. It's very hard because we don't want to look weak. And that's what it feels like, right? To just, to just stop and let somebody be wrong, it feels like weakness and nobody likes that. It feels like we're saying we're wrong and uh, we can't do that, right? And so it's this endless cycle. And what's fascinating is our brains, our physiology, our anatomy, they don't help with this, right? Because we were created and have evolved over time. And, and, and no matter what you believe about like creation, the, the point is humanity has evolved, right? At one point in time, our greatest concern was don't get eaten by that tiger, right? Like that was what it was all about. And if you got into an argument with somebody about whether there was a tiger behind the tree, there were significant consequences for that, right? You saw a tiger, you're telling your best friend, Or, we got to go. There's a tiger over there. And Or's like, no tiger. There's no tiger over there. Yes, there's a tiger. And your body is telling you there's a tiger. It's dumping adrenaline into your system. Your muscles are filling up with blood. Like you're ready to take off because there's a tiger over there, right? But over time, we stopped having to worry about the tiger over there, right? Now I worry about paper cuts. Right, I have office hands. That's just the truth of it. But here's the thing, our bodies are like, and our minds are kind of slow to catch up. And so the truth is, our brains tell us we're in a tiger conversation when we're actually in a conversation about what channel the Super Bowl's actually on. And they feel the same way to our bodies. And so our brain wrongly will tell us that this is life or death. And so now we've got all the chemicals, all the adrenaline pumping in. It's like we're 15 again, hormones out of control, don't know what to do with ourselves, right? And we start, all right, now I know you know this is true because you've had a moment where you've been in it like heated with somebody. And then all of a sudden you've had the, what are we even arguing about moment? Right, where you just realize it. Like all of a sudden the brain has stopped dumping the adrenaline in, the serotonin levels have evened out, your hands aren't tingling anymore, your ears aren't red, and you realize, what, what started that? What is this all about? Like why am I, all right. And this is the reality that we're not good. Our bodies, our physical bodies aren't still, we just aren't that good at discerning false alarms in our brains, right? Uh, I remember my kids, like, uh, they would have these moments where you'd hear them scream your name and you'd like freak out. Like, 
somebody has died and you come in and they're like, oh, can you hand me my water bottle? Because <laughs> they didn't want to get up, you know? Like that's like, that's that moment of like, oh, that's a false alarm. We just don't do that. But actually scripture offers us a pathway to kind of help learn how to hit the pause button when our brains and our minds start to tell us this is a tiger moment when it's not a tiger moment. And when you think you're in a tiger moment, you're not going to listen, right? It doesn't matter what Orr says to you. You know there's a tiger over there. You're going to convince him. And maybe you're going to decide not to convince him anymore because you're like, let the tiger get Orr, you know, whatever it might be. But wisdom of scripture tells us there is this reality that there are life and death moments and there aren't life and death moments. And we have to learn how to navigate those false alarms, There's a really fascinating set of Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 26, verses four and five, this is what it says. Do not, pay attention here, this is kind of confusing. Do not answer a fool according to his folly or you yourself will be just like him. Very next verse. Answer a fool according to his folly or he will be wise in his own eyes. Now, if you're a person who is bent on following the Bible, good luck with that one. So if you ever hear me say, and you will hear me say, like, my goal is not to follow the Bible. My goal is to follow the Jesus of the Bible. My goal is to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. My goal is to follow a life of love, right? I'm not saying the Bible isn't a value. I'm saying the Bible has some diverse opinions on things, (laughs) right? I mean, these two verses sit right next to each other. And if your goal is to follow the Bible to the T so that God will love you, you have a problem right now. You're like, what am I supposed to do with that? Well, what this verse is telling us, what these two verses are telling us, something very fascinating, not just about uh, engaging with folly, but about the nature of the Bible itself, is that the Bible is about wisdom. The Bible is calling us to a life of wisdom and offers us patterns of wisdom to grow and to learn from versus hard and fast rules for every situation and circumstance in life, or hard and fast answers for every question we might have, or, right, moral rules that have to exist all along, all along, all along. We're given this wonderful journey and this wonderful insight into wisdom. And what we learn about this idea of engagement with a person who is, say, argumentative or being foolish or has a belief that we know is just out to lunch, whatever it might be, that there is this decision that has to be made. Do I engage with this person or do I not engage with this person? And engagement with folly, what we see here, is really not about being right, Right? It doesn't say, answer a fool according to their folly when you're right, but if you're not sure, stay out of it. Right? That's not it at all. The presumption is you're right in both these circumstances. So it's not rightness that's the issue, but wisdom. Wisdom to know, is this beneficial? Is this actually going to do any good? That there's these types of follies. Jesus would talk about it this way. Let, you know, some of us were like Jesus folks, and so it's like, well, that's Old Testament stuff. Like, you know, let's talk about Jesus. <laughs> So Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, where he kind of lays out the whole like life of a peacemaker, he gives this very interesting statement in Matthew 7, 6. The author of Matthew like preserves this statement by Jesus. And it says this, do not give what is holy to dogs or throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and tear you to pieces. Isn't that interesting? Now, Jesus could be talking about real swine and real dogs, but I don't think he is. I think Jesus is actually talking about a personality type, a person stuck, right, with, with a violent kind of uh, tendency towards another person who's unwilling to understand. And Jesus is saying, you've got to be careful around that person, right? It's this idea that 
there's a time where that folly has to get addressed and there's a time where that folly needs to be just ignored. And what Jesus is saying here is be careful around unsafe people. Now, unsafe people are not people that we, we, we say, oh, I don't have to love them. I don't have to care for them, right? But we have to be careful around them because here's the thing. Unsafe people have, have given you reason to put that label there, right? There is a pattern, a track record that they have trampled on you before. They refuse to exhibit a spirit, a posture towards understanding. And, and this next statement I'm gonna say, some of you will be initially really offended by it. And I've always said, that is my spiritual gift to you, to be offensive. It's not, I don't try to, it's just natural, okay? But I believe this to be true and I believe this is what Jesus is saying, so just bear with me, okay? Unsafe people, those people that have time and time again shown that they will turn and tear you to pieces, that they will trample on your pearls, that they will ignore what is holy, that they will complete disregard for it. The unsafe people, they've shown themselves worthy of your apathy. Worthy of your apathy. Now that can be a harsh statement, but but I'm not saying they're worthy of your anger. They're not worthy of your rudeness. They're worthy of your apathy, meaning your disengagement, your lack of emotional investment. It's this. Eh. (laughs) That's what those folks, in my opinion, Jesus is saying that they're worthy of. You exercise caution. I'm not going to get emotionally invested in a conversation with someone or in any type of an engagement with someone that I know from my history says they're just going to turn and trample on me. That actually the truth, what I'm trying to perceive might be so highly emotionally charged for that person, it's going to become violent in some way. And so I have to engage those people with this measure of apathy and say, that's because of my experience with them. Like I have this kind of rule with certain people in my life that I just don't engage with. I do not engage, disengage. Because every time I try to engage in a healthy, loving, kind way, it just, it becomes this absolutely futile, useless like circle. And you just get trampled on. And it's not a matter of them having an opposing view because you have wonderful friends and you know people that have opposing views to you, but they have an oppositional spirit. You know, that oppositional spirit about them. There's just a lack of humility. There's a lack of care and concern. And so we have to exercise caution with the things about us that are holy and those things we treasure. And it's a wonderful question to reflect on. Like, what's holy about you? Like, what do you hold holy, sacred, set apart that you need to guard and protect? Like, what are the pearls in your life? Another example of this, the way Jesus would talk about it in a real world experience is Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, we kind of see this lived out. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends the 12 out on this foolish mission. (laughs) Like like I would have immediately quit Jesus right then in the moment. I'm not going to lie to you. If I'd have been one of the 12 and Jesus says this to me, I'm like, I'm out. He tells these 12 guys who are uneducated, probably not well-spoken, don't know how to read, right? Not the cream of the crop, okay? Here's what you're going to do. I'm going to send you out to all these different cities and towns and don't take anything with you. Don't take a purse, a bag. Don't take any extra clothes. Don't take any money. Just go and tell them the good news. Tell them what you've seen. Go. Go. (laughs) No. 
<laughs> I'm not going, Jesus. That's crazy. That's irresponsible. I'm taking a bag with me. And this is not Jesus saying this is how you should live. This is Jesus inaugurating, initiating people into what a life lived totally and fully leaning on God is like, right? And there's some other things. He's probably kind of, you know, kind of leaning against what was happening in Stoic philosophy and things like that at the time. But it's a very interesting story. So he says, you send them out. And he says, you go and you look for what we call a person of peace. If somebody will let you into their home, this is what you do. This is what Jesus says, not Ryan. Jesus says, as you enter a house, wish it peace. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. If not, let your peace return to you. Isn't that cool that you have this wholeness that as a follower of Jesus, you can release into people's lives? I mean, we don't think about that, that we actually have that type of power to shift the atmosphere of a place that we can actually invest the, this, our soul into something and, and bring wholeness through our language and through the, what we give. It says, whoever will not receive you, however, or they won't listen to your words, go outside the house or town and shake the dust from your feet. This is one of my favorite, favorite things Jesus ever said. Because we are so bad at this. Like Jesus is saying to his disciples, listen, you've got to shake off the responsibility to convince everyone of the truth. You'll go crazy. Right? So Jesus is like, just, you know what? You go in, you do everything you can to share with them this love, this truth. And if they won't, you shake it off. Shake off the dust and get going. You just got to shake it off. You got to go. You can't hold on trying to convince everybody of everything. You'll go crazy. Just shake it off. Imagine if you did that in a conversation with somebody. Hey, you start to have a conversation. You realize right away, not a person of peace. Danger, Will Robinson. See you later. You just walk away. I mean, they might think you have a disease or something, but emotionally, like in your mind, just imagine yourself. Just this is a shake the dust off of me and walk away. Brian, love conquers all. Stay in love. Oh, that sounds really nice, but that's foolishness. <laughs> because I can't be responsible for a person's receptivity. And what I have to do is I have to entrust that person into God's care. So if I hold an ethic that says this person is creating the image of God, that this person, that the Christ is working in them, bringing them to salvation, that Christ is working to reveal Christ's light, I'm a part of the process and I can actually shake the dust off my feet because I believe in a good God that is filled with love and care for this person. I'm not condemning this person to eternal hell because they don't believe me. Come on, what kind of authority do you think you or I have in somebody's life? But I, can, I think Jesus can say this because Jesus knows the goodness of the Father. And Jesus knows, well, there's another time. Your job is done. Shake your dust off and get moving. You can't do anything about it. But all things are possible through Christ who strengthens me. Shake the dust off your feet. This is the problem with the Bible is I'm just going to follow the Bible, right? I mean, there's such diversity. We have to exercise wisdom, right? But here's the tension. The tension is that some hills are worth dying on, right? So our proverb that we started with says that sometimes you do have to engage in that folly. Sometimes you can't just shake the dust off your feet. And so why, when is that? How do we know when that is? Well, I would suggest that it has to do with the danger of the folly and the, the, the potential for that folly to victimize and produce violence 
where you have to find, okay, this is a hill I'm going to die on. I cannot shake that. I think I pulled a muscle, by the way, when I did I'm hurting. Do I have a masseuse in here afterwards? Right? We have to at some point say, I can't shake the dust off. I've actually got to, to stay engaged because there's something at stake here with this folly. I think a shadow of this is Paul in his letter to Philemon. So the letter to Philemon is, is interesting. It's in the, we have it in the New Testament. Paul writes it while he's in prison. And there's been a, there was a slave, Onesimus, that had run away from his master Philemon. And Paul had invested into Philemon, had brought the, the wisdom of Jesus to Philemon. Philemon uh, developed faith and became kind of a son in the faith to, to Paul. Well, Onesimus ran away as a slave, and he's been caring for Paul while Paul's in prison. And Paul is now sending Onesimus back to Philemon, pleading for his release from slavery. Because Paul says, this is a folly that I have to address, that I have to engage with. I can't just let it go. I have to stay in this one because there's, 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 there's big stuff at stake here, right? And so Paul writes towards the end of this letter. He says, perhaps this is why Onesimus was away from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave. So he's, he's trying to build a case for the folly of keeping Onesimus as a slave. And he goes on, he says, you should bring him back as more than a slave, a brother, beloved especially to me, but even more to you as a man and in the Lord. If you regard me as a partner, welcome him as you would me, right? So Paul's engaging in this folly. He's trying to convince uh, Philemon that he's wrong. He says, and if, you have, if he's done you any injustice or owes you anything, charge it to me, right? So Paul's got skin in the game. He's not just saying, do this. He recognizes there's issues here. You have legitimate concerns, uh, uh, Philemon, but I'll take care of those. He says, I put it in my own hand, I will pay, because it would have been common for people back in the day to have scribes writing there. Uh, so he wants, he wants like Philemon to know, like, he's not going to get there and be like, I didn't write that nonsense. So he actually writes that part, right? He says, may I not tell you that you owe me your very self, right? I mean, all the, all the tactics that Paul is doing here to just give, oh, and by the way, don't forget that your eternal freedom and security, like you owe that one to me. <laughs> I mean, I hate to bring that up, but if I have to. And then he says, yes, brother, may I profit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. He's in prison, by the way. <laughs> like he is laying it on, right? You gotta love that, right? He's like, refresh my heart. With trust in your compliance, I write to you, right? I trust that you're gonna do the right thing, knowing that you will do even more than I say. And, and what's so great about how he finishes this little part up, right? It's so beautiful. He's like, oh, okay, so I trust you're gonna do the right thing. And at the same time, prepare a guest room for me because I'll be there soon to make sure you did what I said, right? I and mean, that's basically what he's doing here. Like, he's like, oh, and by the way, I'll be back, right? I mean, he wants him to know, like, I'll be there to check in on this. Like, he is committed to making sure that this folly ends. He's engaged. Because this folly was harmful. It was harmful to Philemon. It was harmful to Onesimus. It was harmful to the cause of Christ. It was harmful. And so he engages in it. It was going to create victims and create wounds. And so he, that's the trick, right? The difference in engaging wisely is discerning is this like 
folly that produces harm or is this harmless folly? Is this like a tiger behind the tree moment or is this which channel is the Super Bowl on? Right? Which of these are we in? The worst that happens with the person who wants to argue with me about what channel the Super Bowl is on, they miss the first four minutes trying to figure out that it's on CBS, not Fox. That's the worst thing that happens. Who cares, right? Why am I even wasting an ounce of time? What's the worst thing that happens to the person who won't agree with me that there's a tiger behind that tree, right? Well, the worst thing is the tiger gets them and I'm good. So, I mean, that's not the worst thing that could happen, I suppose. No, the worst thing is we both get eaten by the tiger, right? There's a big problem here. And so in our everyday peacemaking lives, we're faced with these circumstances to engage, to not engage. How do I listen? Well, when you find yourself in a moment where you're sensing this is a type of folly that's harmful, oppose with kindness, right? Just because a person is oppositional, just because that doesn't mean we have to stop being kind, right? Some of you are connected with me on Facebook. Every now and then I'll lose my mind at something and I'll write something. It just happens to the best of us. And I put it out there. And I'll engage with people on Facebook. That's fine. But when you just become nasty and venomous and like hateful, like I just like delete. I'm not even going to bother with that, right? So I think there's a point where we have to say, okay, I think this is folly that is harmful, but we should always engage in kindness. And we have to go back to what we talked about the last weeks. Ask lots of questions. Find clarity before we just make all these assumptions about people. Don't worry about getting the last word. That one will kill you. At some point, you just have to state your sacred ground. This is what I believe. This is what I hold as true. This is harmful. And you just state that. And then you can disengage. Then you can walk away. You said, that's fine. But just, and again, sometimes you've got to keep going and keep going just because of the nature of the folly. But make sure you're doing that in the right forum, right? In the right atmosphere. Remember that once you do disengage, that's not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. It's a sign of emotional strength. It's a way we stay healthy and avoid anxiety and getting entangled up in other people's drama, right? I came across this wonderful little blog post by a woman named Dr. Deborah Kisson, and she wrote this blog on the art of disengagement, just a blog post, 10 tips to disentangle yourself from other people's drama, right? And they're pretty great. We just need to hear them. Some of you, we know, right? Be safe, be selfish with your energy, right? Your energy is sacred. It's something holy, right? It's a pearl in your life, so don't throw it to swine and thus to be trampled on, right? So imagine that it might just, is, is this too much energy being exerted? Remember walking away is a power pose, right? Like that doesn't necessarily mean weakness, she says. This is great, something you probably won't ever hear a pastor say, but I think it's true. Live for you, not someone else, unless that someone else is Jesus, <laughs> But you've got to, in a sense, live for your health. Like, it's the principle of put on your oxygen, like, little baggy thing. On an airplane, that's the technical term, oxygen little baggy thing. Before you start dealing with the person next to you, you're little. Because you have to be safe. Like, you can't love your neighbor as yourself if you aren't loving yourself well. Like, we miss that part of it. Right? And so we do. We have to, in a sense, make sure that we are living for what we believe in and hold that and are healthy so that we can engage. Get rid of toxic relationships. I actually think that's what Jesus is saying. Like, that's a toxic home. Shake the dust off and walk away. It doesn't mean that that relationship can't ever get redeemed, can't be healed, can't have work done. But if it's toxic in your life, you just have to set it into that corner. I love she wrote this. She actually wrote this in her blog. Mind your own business. (laughs) 
right? That's a tough one, but we need to hear it, right? Sometimes we just need to mind our own business, right? Know your limits. I love the analogy that we all are like a plate. Some of us are salad plates. Some of us are those big buffet plates. Some of us are normal dinner plates. Some of us are dessert. It's just the capacity that we've been created with, and we should honor that limit. And this is one of my favorite tactics, right? And I would encourage everybody to do this. Like, develop your I'm okay with you being wrong smile and repertoire, right? Like, my sister is so great at the smile. I, I, have, I have never been able to see somebody deliver such bad news with a smile as my sister. Uh, we went and visited them in the Philippines. This is where I really noticed it, because you're constantly bombarded. It's very crowded. We were in Manila. It's very, very crowded. You're constantly bombarded with need. And my sister would just look at that person in such need and be like, I'm so sorry. I can't. And, that, and it was like, oh, okay. Wonder. I mean, there's a power in a smile, right? But then you got to know, like, what are the words that say, I'm okay with you being wrong? So I'm going to get ready to give you my secret, okay? So there is a good chance if I say this to you, I'm saying, I'm okay with you being wrong. So I, I, I say this with, I'm going to have to come up with new things now is basically what I'm saying. Some of you are like, wait, I think he said that to me last Sunday when I came up and started talking with him about Okay, but listen, here's the thing. This is one that I love to say. That's a fascinating perspective. And then I'll follow up with, so what are you doing tomorrow? (laughs) That means I'm okay with you being wrong. Uh, Another one I like to say is, that's really interesting. Do you think the Broncos are going to win? Right? Like, that's really interesting. That's a really interesting perspective. Right? It's truth. But it just means I'm okay with you being wrong. And I've recognized that this conversation is not going to solve any. We're going to go nowhere. Right? Um, sounds like you've got your mind made up. Yeah, sounds like you've done your research and I'm not saying anything about the quality of your research, the research methodology or anything like that. Just like, oh, sounds like you've got your mind made up. Uh, and this is one that is kind of interesting is I always say, boy, I have met some people that really value what you're talking about. Like they hold those same perspectives. Because I always do. I mean, you, most people are never alone, right? So it's like, there's this sense, it's like you and six other people are also wrong. So, do you think the Broncos are going to win? <laughs> and that's just a way for me to live in my, my understanding of truth in the world without having to eat. So, what are those statements that you can do? And as we kind of wrap up, I do think that, that if we want to bring wisdom into folly, you know, we always should be looking to do that with people that are close to us, right? Ancillary people, it's very difficult to do this with. But the best way that we can actually get through to people is to earn the right to speak by loving them. And so we earn the right to be heard. We earn the right to speak into people's lives when we love them, when we go out of our way to serve them, outside of the things that we disagree. So, so this is like long-term engagement, right? You think about Paul and his engagement with Philemon, right? Like he's loving him. He's encouraging him along the way. There's a relationship there that kind of gives us the right to speak and have conversations and dialogue. All those things that, you know, if you're familiar with the letter to the Corinthians about what love is, when we put those into our relationships, it's amazing what people will hear, Like, I can go back to relationships that I've had with members uh, of our faith community and and friends that at at one point in time, I believed that they might be completely wrong. 
And it was because of this loving, long relationship. They were in our small group, let's say, and, and we knew one another that I could actually speak to them and we could have a conversation. And I look back at some of those conversations and I was dead wrong. And they were absolutely right. But we could listen to one another and grow because we loved each other. Like that foundation of dignity and care is really important in this. And, and obviously this makes the world a better place. How could it not? Right? If the goal of why we gather is to become better versions of ourselves, right? to see a world become its best version. And that happens because we're learning discernment. Right? We're learning discernment, which is a powerful, powerful thing. Jesus displays this discernment in Matthew 27, where he's standing before Pontius Pilate. And he discerns when he should speak and when he shouldn't. It says Jesus stood before the governor and he questioned him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, you say so. We kind of answered. He said, you say so. Yeah. And when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he made no answer though. He didn't even bother to engage. And Pilate said to him, don't you know how many things they're testifying against you? Why don't you answer him one word? And in this moment, he doesn't say anything. The governor is amazed because Jesus knows it's foolishness. I'm just going to look like a fool trying to engage them. They know what they're doing. They know what it's all about. They're not interested in the truth. And if we can learn that kind of discernment, employ that into our lives to recognize this is a shake the dust off my feet moment, we'll have all this energy and all this time for productive encounters, for encounters that really matter. So take a breath. I've talked too long again. It's like I get paid by the minute. I really don't. I gotta. So what's God inviting you into today? As we kind of wrap up, we're going to receive our offering, give online, all that good stuff, offering envelopes, going to finish filling out the Connect card and volunteer for Valfest. But what is God inviting you into today in the deepest part of who you are? The hard stuff. I hope you hear God inviting you to learn to be okay with others being wrong. That there's something powerful about that. There's something humbling about it because when we let other people be wrong, we're actually saying, I could be wrong too. I could be wrong too. You know, 20, gosh, how many years ago now? 23 years ago, 25 years ago when I was in undergraduate work, I had this professor who said, nobody has perfect theology. That was the first time in my whole life of, of following Jesus that anybody ever acknowledged that it was okay to not understand God. He said, nobody has perfect theology. Nobody does. Nobody. And that stuck with me. 25 years later, I still hold to that. It's so true. That me allowing other people to be wrong is a sense me learning humility to say, I could be wrong too, so I need to be careful how much energy I invest in this. And maybe part of it is learning to just be okay with other people thinking I'm wrong. Recognizing that's my false self just trying to make its way out. Right? That's not the, the crucified self. That's not my true self. That's my false self that's worried about what other people think about me and all that nonsense that's just going to fade away. Maybe as we talk about, you know, pearl to swine and shaking the dust, you know you're like that person that you've never not engaged in anything. Like it's always been worth it, but you've also experienced the pain of it. And maybe God's inviting you to self-care to start to discern, when am I throwing pearls to swine? And how do I disengage? And those are invitations, I think, by the Spirit of God for, to heal, to heal us, to heal our relationships, to heal our world in very down-to-earth, right-at-home ways. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for um, 
Thank you for the diversity that is scripture. Thank you for not giving us a rule book to follow. (laughs) That would be so stressful. I've lived in that world, God, but thank you for giving us just a church with traditions and scripture with wisdom and some rules that we navigate and, and experiences that we carry with us in this journey with you, love. And so we thank you for that. Give us wisdom, Lord, to exercise discernment, to know when fully is harmful and when it's not. So I pray that God would bless you and keep you, that love would cause its face to shine upon you and through you this week. That there would, I pray into your life right now, one really frustrating experience this week with someone that you care about, with someone you work with. And I pray that in that moment, you would experience the spirit of God just reminding you, shake the dust off your feet on this one. Don't get trampled on. And that you'd be able to take a big old deep breath and laugh a little bit as you think about that leg shake and walk away, preserving the opportunity to love. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, in a couple weeks, the Super Bowl.